0: everybody, welcome to another episode of the Cloud Base Mayhem. We're going to start this one off a little bit differently than we typically do. Uh, this podcast is with Guy Anderson, a uh, fantastic British pilot who's currently at the Europeans, doing really well over there. Uh, some of you know the name because you know the name, and some of you probably heard about the accident he had here in Sun Valley in 2012. Uh, went in and uh, in a very remote part of the Pioneers, and it took us a couple days to find him. It was a pretty heroic effort to get him out of there, and it was a pretty heroic effort on his part to. Uh, Yeah, to get through that one. So uh, this episode is a lot about safety and uh, what guy went through and the success there and his success since and coming back from uh, some pretty major injuries. Uh, It's not a downer by any means. This is a really inspiring talk. But I want to talk, talk about and start this one off a little different because of an incident we just had here uh, in Sun Valley a couple days ago. Uh, Nate Scales is running the Intermountain wide open. Uh, it's been epic. This is the second year he's done it. Uh, it's attracting some great pilots to the zone from Utah and Wyoming and Montana and Nevada. and People were just sending. Um, and a couple days ago, we had maybe the best day of the year. Just fantastic. Tons of people showed up. We must have had, I don't know, 25 people on launch, which is about 200 times what we normally have. And uh, boomer day, fantastic. Got off the hill. Uh, I think 12 of us got over Trail Creek, and we were heading towards the Big Lost. Uh, we know it's a fantastic day because Nick Grease went on and, and did, I think, about 300K that day and nearly made it to Bozeman. So it was just really lining up to be a a fantastic day. Clouds were lining up. Base was super high. And uh, all of a sudden on the radio, there was this terrifically bad scream. um, And one of the pilots went in low, uh, was clearly very hurt. And that rescue effort to get him out of there really I don't think could have gone much better, and so I just wanted to talk about some of the things that went down some of the things we did uh, that really really worked uh, so you can be thinking about it in your own flying and your own kit um, I'm going to be writing an article about this in fact the article might even be out before I get this uh, this podcast out but um, so there 'll be more detail in the in the article, uh, both for Ushpa and on my blog. so keep an eye out for that. but just some of the things that uh really tip the scales in terms of the success of getting Uh, the victim out of there and getting him to the hospital in pretty record time, I think. Um, We got him out of there in about three hours, which sounds like a lot of time, but when you start throwing helicopters in the mix and the terrain that he went down in and what we had to do to get to him, uh, yeah, pretty heroic effort on the part of many people. Um, Some of the things that I just wanted to kind of walk through – in regards to the success of that, one was LifeLight. We used LifeLight for the helicopter extraction. Um, <clears throat> I think very few of us had uh, LifeLight membership. It's $60 a year. If you live in the Northwest, that's awfully cheap insurance, you know, instead of paying for a $15,000 helicopter ride. Um, make sure you've got something. Uh, when you travel, make sure you've got something internationally. When you're home, make sure you've got something that works at home. That one is, uh, pretty critical you know suddenly you have a bad day and you rack up a whole massive bill uh and be careful things like geos you know the insurance that we get through spot or delorme they've got a paragliding um uh exclusion so i don't believe that covers it i might be wrong but you know make sure you're covered uh one of the things that was really critical in the success of it was keeping somebody high we were in a place that didn't have any cell coverage um but if you were high you could reach one of the towers and so matt beachner farmer uh was staying up you know Right around our legal limit, or up around eighteen thousand feet, and he was calling the shots, which was just a remarkably insane and awesome effort. You know, this Sun Valley in the middle of the day. the The pilot went in about one one eight, uh, one p.m., and so the day was smoking and booming, and uh, it was on. and He was up there, you know. Managing his glider and calling 911 and managing search and rescue and talking to us on the ground with his radio. Just an unbelievable effort. But um, I think even more important was just having somebody immediately take the lead you've got to have a lead in this kind of a situation nate scales just kind of automatically went into that uh zone and uh and and took the lead and so he was calling the shots with the radio he made the decision to keep farmer high uh he was putting people in place before we were even on the ground uh so make sure you've got somebody that can just keep a level head be a leader uh call those shots that was really critical. Um, Every single one of us added DeLorme. Having that two-way texting capability is just totally critical in any kind of situation like this in my opinion it's critical every time we fly but in an emergency like this you would not believe the amount of two-way texting we were doing and you know at one point for example Revis had a really great spot uh, LZ planned out for the helicopter so bam he sends them a message they've got his latin long they've got a position on him it doesn't mean we don't have to radio it to farmer he doesn't have to radio it in from there it's just done Uh, With a spot, you've got your pre, you've got your, you know, four messages that you have planned out to certain people. Uh, If you haven't set up the right people before that certain flight, it's pretty much useless. Uh, I just keep to me spot is useless you've got a tracking device great it's better than nothing but with the delorme you've just got the maps you've got the two-way texting uh, you've got the little icon you can press to see where a person is and immediately see their direction and course from you and how far away they are i just can't stress enough i mean if you come and fly here in sun valley I would actually be pretty reticent to fly with you if all you had was a spot. Um, they're just an inferior piece of equipment. We could not have done this rescue with spots. It's just impossible. You, you know, uh, number one, the victim couldn't reach his Delorme. So luckily we had a visual, uh, visual on them. So that's one thing I wanted to stress, make sure you've got your Delorme in a place where you can hit the SOS if you go in hard. Um, but we did have a visual on them, uh, a couple other pilots Bill Belcourt, Re- Revis, uh, Gray, and, uh, Evan Bouchier, you know, put their gliders, they were they were able to land very close to the victim, which was uh, really critical to be able to get to him quickly and you know keep him calm and put him on oxygen and and uh and then start taking vitals and relaying all that information to the rest of the team, which we were then able to relay to search and rescue and the helicopter, all that stuff was was really critical. O two, uh keeping the victim You know, keeping his pulse and blood pressure and everything in check, uh, because we all had O2, that was was really helped by having that. Um, Good thing to have in your kit. First aid, Revis had a really solid first aid kit, but we all need to have really solid first aid kits. You know, that's got to have... Uh, a minimum of some pretty basic stuff, you know, some pretty powerful painkillers, some gauze, uh, some super glue, some Steri-Strips, you know, make sure you've got a pretty decent uh, first aid kit that you carry with you all the time. Uh, You know, this could have gone so much worse, you know, number one, if this victim had gone in and it was just a typical day here where we only got maybe two or three people on launch, it would have been really hard, if not impossible, to get him out of there. So, you know, having having people around, uh, having the first aid. Revis had a couple of other things that were really critical in his kid. He had like an emergency blanket and he had trekking poles. So he was able to build build a big flight sock for when the helicopter came in. Um, Super important. He had pen and and paper in his uh, first aid kit to keep the vitals with. Another thing really important that I don't think many other of us had. Enough food and water. You know, it was a really, really hot day. Uh, We all had to hike a long ways to get in there. Uh, It was, you know, you got to have sunblock, you got to have water, you got to have food um you got to keep calm and you got to move at a pace where you don't forget anything you know you got to have people that are really thinking and working things out what could we possibly need in there uh you know in this case before the helicopter got in we were thinking okay we're gonna have to carry them out uh really really i cannot emphasize how hard that is to do even when you have a perfect uh board to carry somebody out on a backboard or something but uh you know we took a couple fence posts and we had a bunch of paraglider bags and a bunch of straps and so we could we could have fashioned one or built one on the spot if the helicopter couldn't come in there which was uh we were actually thinking wasn't going to happen because it was such a big booming day and the train was pretty rough a lot of times helicopters don't like to go into that kind of thing it was a great extraction went really well uh the victim's going to be totally fine you know uh, surgery he was pretty banged up but he's going to be fine so um i guess lastly it was also a reminder to all of us to just you know watch where you're going. Watch where you're putting your glider in. Um, You know, I can't even make a call on what happened here at, at all, but, you know, if you're going into the lee and you're going to be low, you know, God be careful and maybe just... You know, if you've you've already blown the move, maybe call it a day. You know, maybe just decide, okay, this isn't the day for me. I don't need to go in low and scratch in a place that might be dangerous. Save it for another day. You know, like Nick always says, fly the day, not your desire. So, uh, yeah, hopefully that helps. And uh, let's go ahead and get into this talk with Guy Anderson. I think you're going to really enjoy this. Uh, Fantastic person and uh, an incredible pilot. He's been at it for I think 24 years now. There's a lot to learn from this one. Stick with it. Uh, Enjoy my conversation with Guy Anderson.
1: It's been some time since I have seen your face.
0: Mr. Anderson, I have always wanted to say that I'm a huge fan of. I'm uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, not a huge fan of Keanu Reeves, but The Matrix. Uh, welcome to the Mayhem. It's uh, it's really cool to uh, finally be able to do this with you. I know you're in the middle of uh, pretty awesome Europeans. Uh, what's happening over there?
1: Uh, well, it's all it's all kicking off. It's uh, we've had we are seven days now into uh, into a potentially a total of 9 days and um yeah it's, it's been very very racy conditions over here um pretty full on full full bar mashing stuff and um yeah it was it's um, it's great great fun great fun
0: and i see you're uh you're sitting very nicely in 17th place so you're you're definitely in striking position uh yeah how how's it been going for you
1: well it's all been a t- certainly a bit of an education uh, we've been given the runaround around by Honora uh in his own fashion he's um, he's really playing the game beautifully but um yeah this it's hard in this level to get a break on on anybody they're all so good here that um we've had days where you know 60 70 pilots were all arriving in goal within 2 minutes of each other so to really make a jump and and make it make it count is bloody hard
0: yeah <laughs> I'll uh, bet. very
1: exciting all, all the way
0: would you compare this to like a super final or is it is it the same kind of
1: caliber um i'd say more or less i think i'd say the super final is probably a touch a touch higher because you've got everybody who's on form turning up and that would include um, some of the you know, guys from the states and um, and Australia and elsewhere. But but yeah, you've got all of the main countries from Europe with their best guys, um, really really showing showing how how they how they fly. So it's a pretty fast and furious level, definitely.
0: Mm. And you know, Honerin is just. He's just having one this year. My God, that guy is just, uh, wow. Uh, You know, his big 300-plus FAI triangles in southern France, which is, to me, a terrifying place to fly. I know that area quite well from the ex-Alps, and he's just sending it over there. Um, What's he doing differently? Uh,
1: I think Honorat is... um, He's always had the speed. I think now possibly from chats he's had with Russ I don't know but he's showing a real measure of control as well which I think is uh, it was always going to come uh, he's 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 got such lovely glider skills and uh, but he's now got uh, an extra level of discipline I think to his flying so he can control gaggles when he wants to and he can push when he wants to as well so he's he's really is becoming um the the sort of uh amazing pilot that we all thought he would become so and he's and he's such a lovely guy at the same time there's no uh he's he's not arrogant in any way he's he's a, just a, a lovely really 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 well-formed guy mm. so uh, it's ple- a pleasure flying with him he's always A real gent in the air. No, he's not pushy in any way. Um, It's just a nice, a nice thing to share the sky with.
0: Fantastic. Well hey, I want to talk a lot about comp flying in this uh, in this kind of interview with you, but I'd love to uh, you know there's not a ton of information available about you online um, but so I, I wanted to just give our our listeners who aren't really familiar with you and, and what you're doing um, a little bit of background. Can you kind of walk back the clock and give us a, a brief history of guy Anderson in the air?
1: Oof. Um, well, I I got started. I saw I was walking up in the Pyrenees. Uh, I, I'm in I'm in the wine business, so I I had a I was down in Bordeaux and I had a, a weekend off, so I, I headed up to the mountains. Um, just just to go uh, walking up, up, in, up in the High Pyrenees. And I saw a couple of guys uh, take off and they thermaled around and then flew all the way down the valley to a bar. And um, it took me probably four hours trekking to get to the same bar. And uh, I just thought that maybe paragliding was a better way of getting around mountains than walking. So um, I came home, told my wife, about this thing I'd seen, and um, she actually went off and bought me a, a weekend experience in Wales um, and has totally regretted it ever since. <laughs> that poor woman. Oh my <laughs> <Yeah>. goodness. <laughs> well, I, yeah, because I, I knew the very first moment my feet left the ground on a glide down a shitty little hill in Wales. That I was totally addicted to this this silly thing. And and um, what year was that? Uh, that was in 1992. Oh my and goodness! It was, and I took it up at the worst possible stage. I had two small girls, uh, one one just just walking, the other one in a pram, and um, I would go off at a drop of a hat to Wales every every time I could to. Um, just just to learn and and get better and um eventually start thermaling and um yeah and, and yeah i've just been totally hooked on it ever since really and who are your uh, not, not a good thing
0: <laughs> not a good thing for the family is, is it no have, have your well, girls gotten into it at all they sort
1: of understand but it's been a long time and it's sort of one of those things that dad does so uh, anyway but uh yeah it's it's um they're, they're, they've been very good about it over the years
0: have either of your girls gotten into flying
1: no I, I took them up uh i from quite an early stage i i took uh i used to put my helmet on i i, I whenever i was in charge of the girls i'd i'd um take them off and we'd uh we go flying off the cliffs in um, on the south coast, and I'd just zip, zip them into my flying suit and um, put my helmet on their head, and off we go. And uh, but they haven't really; it's not their thing. They they quite enjoy coming along on a tandem, but um, it's it's it hasn't gripped them the way it's gripped me. So, uh, but that that's great. I mean, everybody does does their own thing, and um, um, so, and so they should.
0: And and so. When did you start getting into comps, and, and who were your crew back in the day? Was, was that you know, Eddie and John Sylvester and those guys,
1: or Russ? or: Yeah, yeah, it was, um, it was probably pre-Russ. When I, I, there was Bob Drury around, and yeah John Sylvester, certainly, and Eddie Colfox back in the day. Eddie actually was the guy who taught me. Uh, Eddie signed off my club pilot rating in Wales. And yeah, he's a complete hooligan. Yeah. And um but yeah, and we've we've shared lots of memorable flights ever since. But yeah. Eddie Eddie would have said told me to have a go at comp flying and I, I turfed up at the Brits in ninety six, I think. Okay. And um but in those days, the comp flying was completely different. We, we, um, we used to have to take photos of turn points, and it was all a bit daft. Um, I remember one, one day, Hugh Miller uh, actually lost both his cameras because they were tied together <laughs> and the whole lot, he lost the whole lot over the side so that that screwed up his comp and I I, <laughs> I, I did comps for a couple of years uh, but I just decided that the technology then wasn't really up to it uh, when you we had one comp in Morzine and we were having to go around the back one of the turn points was the hotel on the top of the Avorias cliff I don't know if you no avorias in near Morzine. There's a big cliff there and a, a bunch of hotels perched on the top. And um, some somebody had. It, you had to have very visible turn points that people could identify whether you were in sector in sector or not. But we were going round the back of this hotel in in a terrible howling gale uh, <laughs> in, and photographing the back and proving that from the room number that you could see that you were actually in sector and i was just thinking this is stupid <laughs> that uh <laughs> you know you're taking your hands off your brakes you're having terrible collapses as you're doing it and um it was just it was too frightening for words and um that and and i had had a bit of a of an episode because i just got a new comp wing that might had had a gradient avax back in those days and um we didn't know anything about trimming of gliders. It, when, it, when, we, when I first got it, it was fantastic, but um, after probably a hundred hours of flying it, it was going seriously out of trim. And I just thought it was, it was possibly me or something, but it would, it would spin uh, at the drop of a hat. And um, in the same comp in Morzine, I had um, a bit of a deal. It, it collapsed in front of me, it started spinning. And then I managed to stop that. And then it dived behind me and carried on spinning. And so I'm getting wrapped up. But the brattle of the the of the of of risers is, is getting closer and closer. And my head's being forced down to my knees. And just at the last minute, I managed to pull both risers over my head. But by doing so, I, I pulled my helmet off. <laughs> Jesus. And... Um, so I'm dropping through. Uh, so and then I managed to correct it and, and uh, got it flying again. And, but I'd been whipping past this cliff at the time, which was a bit scary. And the, uh, the helmet actually landed on a chalet down below, below and uh, broke some tiles in some chalet owner's roof. So uh, he, was, he turned up a bit later and he was pretty furious. <laughs> but oh, at the same time, uh, I got ordered out of the air by, by Innes Powell, who was our safety officer. Because, I in those days you weren't allowed to fly without a helmet, but um, it was pretty. That was all pretty scary. Oh, that seems quite rude. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, very, very rude. Yeah, and this is the same in his safety officer who, um, do you know you you, you know Bob? Yeah, Green, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, he was in his famously um, came tumbling through a a, the, the, a, a start gaggle, and uh, Bob. Came over on the radio and said, "Mind out, everybody! The safety officer is coming through." <laughs> <laughs> so we all had to part ways and uh, let let him let him come through and, and recover. And, and uh, down through your
0: your tumbling incident and ripping off your helmet, did you manage to take the photo? Uh,
1: I did get the photo. Oh my God. But then I was I was ordered out of the sky to go and land, and there were people. But in back in those days, you know, gliders were not like they are now. They there were people flailing around all over the place and there were there were very big floppy things that would um, drop out of the sky uh, it was they're not the machines in any shape or form that we're flying today yeah sure um, but I just sort of decided about that stage that I'd had enough of um, of going around um, taking photographs and I didn't think it, racing I, I like the racing side of it but i didn 't like the lack of technology and the, the having to wait until three in the morning to find out that you weren't in sector and we had we used to do pin uh, you'd actually have to mark in in a map where you got to with a pin um it wasn't very it wasn't very techy and uh, there was forever pin creep going on with people saying oh well if if Bob got there, I got two fields further than Bob Great. Right. And that was about as as um, scientific as we got to finding out who was the winner of a comp, and it was it was all a bit of a joke, but it, it was great fun. But. Um, yeah, not not really uh, measurable. Uh,
0: things have come uh, a long ways. It makes me realize how how much I missed out on. Uh, if you, those of you listening, if you want some more really hysterical stories about taking pictures, you've got to listen to the episode with Nate Scales. He was the uh, pre- he he had perfected things like dropping your camera and <laughs> dropping the batteries out of the camera. And- <laughs> it's pretty funny. (laughs) Yeah, Good thing that's over. I can't imagine, especially in a place like this. I mean, God, taking your hands off your brakes is a full-on thing to do anyway, let alone take a picture. What happened then between those kind of early days and, let's say, Sun Valley? Did you... uh...
1: Well, well, after... So I did a few years of comp flying. And then I I got into a bit more of the not well a bit of vol bivouac but more vol visa. <laughs> Um So we would disappear, often fly from. Uh, I'd, I'd get a flight to Nice. I'd meet up with Ulrich Jessup, and we would fly from there up to Geneva uh, over a couple of days. And I in, really enjoyed doing that. And I did quite a bit of flying with uh, two other Englishmen, Simon Hedford and um, and. Uh, uh, um Tim Guilford, um and we we would we would head off on silly treks through the pyrenees and uh, decide it was all dangerously unflyable but um yeah yeah we did did it. so some of the things that you do but in a very much a tamer version and um with the odd stop at a decent restaurant mm. as well um which i quite enjoyed and then, and then, because I, I'm I, my wine business, I had to go on trips to places, you know, rather lovely places like Argentina a lot. We were importing quite a lot of Argentinian wine back then, and uh, so I'd bunk off and take my glider with me and um, fly quite a lot up, up and down the uh, the the uh, the atlas. The, sorry, not the atlas. The um, the, the the mountains of uh around mendoza and um uh, and south mm, of that
0: i don't know that Barry yeah, i don't know that area well at all it looks like a really fun place to have adventures
1: yeah yeah i mean it's 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 pretty pretty epic stuff it's very very windy and uh a few a few times if you land out it can be just ridiculous uh, i I landed i i i had a quite a, a windy trick trek in and it was it, you get a lot of wave forming there, which can be quite scary on on Paralyte especially well maybe less now, but back in the day they were it was it was a bit more treacherous um and, but you you could land out only a few hundred yards from a road and it would take you three or four hours uh to push your way through to uh through the cactus plants you have to you know reuse your use your glider as a battering ram and um and just Uh, yeah so that wasn't wasn't much fun
0: ouch that's some proper kind of adventure flying is that still where is your heart in in paragliding is it more with the comps or is it more that kind of thing
1: well i've got back into comps since i I loved i loved doing that and uh, i love the places it takes you Uh, and the silly experiences you get you know, having to I used to take a fishing rod as well and um, I quite like uh, doing a bit of foraging um, so trying to survive off what you what you you can take with you as well I I quite enjoyed that Um, but but yeah I've, I've really got back into comp flying probably seven six seven years ago I, I sort of decided to have another another go at it and the gliders are so different now um that i, I it's, it's opened it up for me and I, I i the year of sun valley was the first uh, year i got back into um what I got up to a level where i had a letter to get into into the world cups and um sun valley was actually my only my second world cup but i'd sort of put given myself that year a target that if i could possibly get a place uh to get into the super final maybe that that was that would be that would do it for me for that year but since then um i i've i've really enjoyed the, everything about it and the, the people are such fun and and I, I totally agree with what nate was saying that one year of world cups just one World Cup is probably the same as doing as a learning experience compared. To, is is about the same as a whole year of flying cross country. So um, yeah, it's it's a, a real eye opener what you can do with mm. like
0: And then you you were uh, you know before the before we started the show, you were telling me you guys have been doing some pretty cool. Uh, I guess you'd call it adventure flying, but more kind of one day stuff in in from your home. your in Britain. Tell me about some of that. We've
1: got a fantastic Hugh Miller, the sure. editor across Country. He's set up Hugh and and Jim Mallinson. Yeah, no, I know no Jim very well. Yeah. Jim. My
0: first ever bivvy was uh, with uh, was with John in in uh, in beer back in two thousand was that nine or. Eleven. Um, it was very early on, and we did a little flight from Beer back to Topland and above Manali, and spent the night in the ice, and then flew back the next day. And oh, yeah, great. he kind of introduced you know this whole bivy thing to me a few years back. But those guys are great. Well,
1: Hugh, Hugh, Jim, and and Jockey uh, decided to set up a North versus the South of, of Britain competition. And uh, it's so for just one weekend a year, we all get together in in a location, uh, normally the middle of England. And the principle is that we will travel because in England, the weather's so shit most of the time uh, you've got there. But there is somewhere in the UK that's going to be good. Um, So we decided to have a, a mobile competition. So it's it's the top. I think 30 pilots from the north versus the top 30 in the south and we all get together have a bit of a party and then head off in our cars to wherever is going to be good so this year we um all met up in the lake district at jockey's place and then the the, after a big night out at um a jockey's center we all headed off in a coach that we we uh, found that morning and headed up to Scotland to a mountain called Tinto well a mountain it's it's a it's a big biggish hill um but it, we don't really have mountains in the u k not real ones but um a biggish hill and then we set a goal of two hundred and seventeen k down into england and um i uh, i think out of a field of of sixty probably uh, a third made it i think twenty, fifteen 15 or 20 people made it to to this uh little field down near barney Woods that is house.
0: awesome what a cool flight yeah
1: and and flying over the english countryside is a, a, an absolute treat it's it's always sort of emerald green and you can see both coasts uh, at some, uh from about you know five thousand feet where we were and um it's this comp is becoming a really special weekend i mean it, we've had just ridiculous um weekends for the last four years where we've flown probably uh, sort of two, two goals of 200k um three times a, uh, yeah over a weekend it's ridiculous yeah, are you guys um, calling um, that on the, it, on the weather just, is, is the weekend flexible or do you just keep getting lucky with the weather it's it's totally mobile. So we started in Scotland. We all trekked down to the to the north, north of England. The next day was going to be good in the south. So we get in the car and we drive for five hours, and we all went from a little a really tiny hill, sort of like a hundred meter top to bottom, and we flew from there down to Brighton, which is one hundred and fifty k to 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 where. Yeah, I mean it's just ridiculous. Um, Russ came over. From because uh, he, he lives in France and um, he he'd never flown 100k in the UK ever and uh, in two days he flew you know, 375k. It's, sort of, it's unbelievable. It's just,
0: right. That's awesome. It's kind of a, it's kind okay. of on the principle of the uh, you know Nate's comp that's going on right now called the inner inner Intermountain uh, Inter Wide Open. You know he runs it for two weeks and it's basically it's your four best scores on on X contest and people can fly anywhere you know it's it's kind of a bragging rights thing you know the the if the if the best scores are from sun valley then sun <laughs> yeah, valley wins it, but it, you know, it's not yeah, really it's, the person it's more it, it's basically a way to get everybody together in the same zone and and go go flying which i mean the other day we launched here a couple of days ago and there there must have been 30 people on launch and we haven't seen that since the world cup you know that just doesn't happen here usually yeah. there's,
1: there's maybe two of us <laughs> so that was pretty exciting <laughs> Ah, oh, that sounds brilliant. Oh uh, well, uh, uh, yeah, it's very tricky in the flying in the UK as well because you've got all sorts of airspace restrictions and things. So yeah, but it's all down to just it's, there's no prize or anything. It's all down to bragging rights, and it's just a good fun thing to get together with other other British nutters who uh, who share your your ad- addiction to a, a silly mm, sport. Mm.
0: Well. So you 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 started kind of getting back into comp flying six or seven years ago, and you know in the last couple years, I mean, really since Sun Valley. So that's what I want to ask about. Is just, it seems like you have really uh, upped your game, especially since that incident, which is you know in some ways kind of unexpected. Um, but how have you? Before we talk about the incident, how how have you approached? um just progression and training is there training involved or um is i i believe you're defending your, the british title this year is that correct uh i
1: i i did i sadly i lost it but uh, i was very happy to to hand on the cup to uh, alex coltman who uh, who flew flew his socks off and thoroughly deserved it but uh yeah i came i came uh third in our comp this year but um yeah i was very happy to win it last last year
0: yeah and you were you are not uh, surrounded by slouches in the air as well that's a that's a that's a hell of an achievement
1: no we've got a good good we've got a very good level of pilot in the uk and we've got an exciting new um section
0: yeah so we were asking about uh how you've kind of approached training and progression and um improvement since you got back into comp flying
1: yeah, I, I I think that um, is something you've got to spend time learning. It, it it doesn't go in straight away. The whole the little tricks here and there, and the the whole the, the general uh, discipline that you need to really um, get to takes time. I think, and I, I, I don't think, it, however. Good, do you think you are? There's there's always so many other pilots who just know how to get through a, a landscape quicker than you do, that it takes a while before you understand the, um, the 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 sort of flow that you need to adopt. So I I don't think you can expect to um get to the to the high level that quickly, and unless and, and and you've just got to sacrifice time with pilots that are much spending time with pilots who are much better than you are until you it starts to rub off on you um and and I've learned so much from so many people but uh, probably I mean you've, I've got a few people who I really admire in in our game and I try to match their style and I think um People like um, well, Ru- Russell Ogden is is uh, is a complete legend, and the way he flies is is uh, it's hard to emulate because he's so good. But uh, I like I like his style. I like uh, I like Nick Nick Grease's style as well. Um, he's a great climber, which I think is the main the main skill that you need to achieve. If you can climb climb well with a with a in a good gaggle, then um, you can generally fiddle your way towards the front. Um, that's one skill. I think gl- gliding. I, l- I love the way Charles Kazo glides. He always uh, can seemingly get from just just from the top from the bottom to the top on a on a long glide just by being a bit more intelligent than everybody else. Um, so, but I, th- I I just think it takes time in our in our game. Um, and you'll only, you'll only get to a, uh, a higher level if you, if you can put in the hard yards and, um, and, and, um, and observe those around you who, um, uh, who are, who are really doing a good job. How much are you flying every year? I fly, uh, I, I spoke about 300 hours a year, a lot and quite a lot. Um, and that's, uh, I try to do as as much as I can in, in competition um, because I, I think that's really that's really where you can measure how you're improving or if you're improving or not. Um, uh, but it's such a hard game though. Was, there's a there's a there is an element of of luck, and I used to yeah I I used to think that I was always being a bit hard done by, but your luck your luck improves the more practice you put in. Um, it's uh, funny how I, some people are more lucky than others, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but then, but then you can have um, some, it's such a, there is an element of lottery in this. Even we had this week, we, you know, Pepe Malek, who is, I think one of the, one of the, uh, the best pilots. He, he won the competition in gemona the world, the last world cup in Gemona in Italy. Uh, and who and had been flying brilliantly, he bombed this week um, two k's from the start gate. The whole he he did appeared to do nothing wrong, but the air swallowed him up. He he was gliding off and doing nothing that he wouldn't normally do. That would end you know, normally, he'd end up right at the front and would win it. But this day, he ended up landing, scratching his head and going, well, "How did that happen?" Mm. So that's the. I think it's a, the lovely thing about this spot, sport is that you just never quite know where it's going to take you and it can it can be uh on an amazing journey and you can end up winning a task uh, or it can put you on your ass and um and you end up and you think that you don't even don't even know where to start right scratching your head yeah.
0: out in the field not in the middle of nowhere what the hell just happened yeah. and it happens to everybody That's doesn't it, it? Yeah. um it, it Is of the 300 hours, how much of that would you say is comp versus just free flying? Just approximately like,
1: percentage wise. I would say about about fifty fifty. Fifty fifty. Yeah. I, I, okay. I, I love. I mean, I, I just love flying. I, yeah. I'll go flying on a on a, a crappy day in England quite happily. Uh, I love. You know, I've I've got a new tandem which I'm enjoying. Um, any, any form of uh, being in the air, uh, especially if you can, if you can get up to get up and away from a hill is, is, is fun.
0: So 20, give or take 24 years of flying, um, is, have there been times where you haven't had that passion or desire, or, uh, have there been times where you've gone off to, to other things, or has it been pretty consistently epic?
1: It's the one thing in my life that I'd say has been a consistent grip. Uh, I I love doing everything. I, I, I like I like playing any any game. I'll play. You know I I, I love skiing. Uh, I, I I go quite hard when I ski. I I love fishing. I love playing tennis. I'll, I'll do anything. But the one thing I keep coming back to is is flying. I'm, I'm, I can't. I can't get away from it. I, I'm. I'm the worst person to go driving with because I'm all, got my head up looking at clouds all the way. My <laughs> wife hates hates it. I'm like, she says I'm either looking in a river or I'm, I'm looking up at the clouds. I'm very rarely looking where I'm going. <laughs>
0: So of the 300 hours, you said about 50-50, you're comp flying and then you're you're free flying. Um, When you're free flying, are you really actively working on things that will help your comp? Are you thinking about, okay, like this is a skill I really need to work on or is it more just uh, going out to have a good time and those skills, you know, obviously they just add up and stack up? anyway, regardless, every time we're in the air, it's, you're, you're getting better. But, um, are you quite active about your training to, to, to bring it across to come? I think
1: uh, I'm always trying to improve my, I mean, it all comes back down to glider handling and how confident you are in various scenarios when it, when it, when you've got to be, you've got to use your skills to all stages and the sort of, concentration is is such an important part of it i i I really virtually i can't stop myself now but every time i'm in a thermal um ideally i'm with flying with other people but i'm always i can't i'm competitive with uh, anybody else even if it's a bird i'm (laughs) i'm i find myself desperately trying to out thermal buzzards at home Uh, not happy if I haven't uh, out climbed them and shown them that that, uh, (laughs) they're they're not 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 uh, not seeing it properly so uh, (laughs) it's a bit silly but I think that you've got to have a competitive side to you um, to to and to want to improve Um, and uh, so yeah I I don't I I don't let uh, any flight go by without thinking about how it it it's if I can improve certain ways, I mean, my my the pitch control of my glide, my uh, reading of clouds, um, cloud cloud development, cloud decays, you know, it, it, just the whole the whole pattern of uh of the airflow through a, through a landscape i'm always always trying to improve my knowledge and and it's never quite good enough you know I, you always think that you're going to be better but there are, there are every every flight there's something that's that you can learn that you didn't know before and um that's that's part of why i love it
0: Okay, buddy. Well, this is a story I know you've written about and told probably too many times, but we have to talk about it. Uh, It was my first World Cup. Sounds like it It was was your second second, World Cup after coming back. Yeah. Uh, Tell me about what happened on the last day uh, of the PWC in Sun Valley.
1: Well, we we had uh, Sun Valley is uh, I still think probably one of the most amazing places I've ever flown anywhere. I've flown all all over. the world but i still think sun valley is is the biggest experience you can have you know the air is so big we'd had an amazing comp up until that point um we'd flown places in in landscape that i I, it's, it's hard to describe it but you know some of the flights we'd had a long long flight over um uh, when we went to King Mountain and beyond, mm. and you're going, th- you're, go- you're you're linking mountain ranges, and it's, with insanely long glides between them, and the air is so huge, you, you you can't quite describe it. You know the countdown. You can see gliders ahead of you being ripped up in the sky like like confetti, just being blasted up, and you you have to just hold on to the seat of your pants and. You count, you know, we were literally going 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, oh my Yahoo! God, boom. And yeah, but that that flying was indescribable. And um, and and it, well, I'd loved it. I absolutely love Sun Valley. But um, the day, the last day was uh, an, another uh, 100K task. And I think we only had one turn point to go around and it started out pretty nice but uh by the halfway stage it had got progressively windier and the climbs i'd, I'd noticed that you know i it's another standard sort of 5 meter climb but i noticed that this one was I was the normally in a five meter climb you're going up pretty quickly and and uh, it pretty vertically at that at that rate but I was tracking back in this one I I just said to myself okay you know this is really getting properly windy and we were getting into a section uh, where the it was pretty mountainous as well I think and uh, I'd started telling myself to be careful um and to be uh, so i was i was flying on the safe side and and i'd been flying with another guy uh juan becerra who was on a ice peak as well and he disappeared the wind was coming in and flowing up up the mountain sides up a series of gullies and and Juan had decided to We'd separated, and he'd gone into the uh, the lee side, and I was I said to myself, God, that guy's a complete nutter. Uh, he's he's really going to going to be asking for it down, going down that side of the, of the system, you know, straight into the rotor. Anyway, so I headed off in down the what I thought were going to be the the the, the better um, from a windy windy point of view, the l- least turbulent area. And I thought I could still get up there from there and it was would be possibly one more big climb and then into goal. Um, but I headed down a valley system and I've got, there was a bit of a pimple. I got a little bit of a lift off this pimple and I was thinking, well, I'm probably too low now. And I was only probably 40, 50 feet off the ground when uh, I heard you know that awful puff noise and I knew the you know the wing had completely locked gone but I was just at that awkward height where I I was too low to throw the reserve but still high enough to really hurt and I just thought well this is this one this one is going to be a bit of a of a thump in and sure enough I um, hit the ground a couple of seconds later and yeah, a couple of bumps run rolled into uh, into some low scrub the glider rolled up a bit as well and i think just sat there for a while and took stock and thought well wow, i really have bumped in this time but properly in the middle of nowhere um ah what did i do i i i lay there for a while i sort of managed to I tried to push myself up, but realised only one of my arms was working, um, and I, so I pushed myself over to be face up, and um, my face was bleeding. I had a, I bought a nice new pair of specs um, uh, that had gouged a big gash in my nose, so I was bleeding quite a lot. But I sort of checked myself over pretty quickly, realised there were no bones sticking out anywhere, and so I thought, well, I, so I was quite encouraged by that because I had hit the ground pretty hard. But I I knew I'd either dislocated or broken my arm, and I knew my ribs were not in a good shape, and my my pelvis felt a bit um, a bit busted as well. So I, I just lay there and um, took stock of the situation and tried i reached for my radio tried to call people on the radio but then realized that the battery had gone flat um looked at look got my mobile phone out which had plenty of battery but no signal uh and then i realized i was properly stuffed um i was looking up in the sky hoping that other gliders would come over but it's such a big big sky there um, and, and I thought we were possibly a bit, a bit offline because of the wind. Um, I, so I, and, and, uh, I, apart from Juan, I hadn't seen anybody for the last half an hour. So I thought, oh God, actually maybe because of the wind, maybe the task had been stopped and I hadn't heard it over the radio. I didn't know. I think it was actually stopped, wasn't it?
0: Yeah, it was. I don't know. We were trying to piece this together. I don't. We don't think it was stopped before you went in. It yeah. was stopped very, very late. We were actually just, uh, I had a bit of a, a wild episode that day as well. And when I landed at goal with Russ and Nick and some other guys, I, I thought already a couple of vans had come through to get the pilots in front of them. Because yeah. I was so far off the back, I ended up taking a line, totally directly i didn't push out into the flats like everybody else did because my instrument was saying go that way and this was my (laughs) second comp and i didn't know any better so but they ended up calling it uh i i had the same thing my radio wasn't working and i ended up calling it right about when the first gaggle got to that tiny turn point uh, at that kind of windy corner which was about 20 miles from goal so it was just about you know give or take five ten minutes about when you went down we think
1: so so um anyway I, I couldn't see anybody I, I was looking up in the sky trying to see if there was anybody coming past and and I'd I'd had this weird thing when I I was looking I'd been looking at clouds and looking across the valley and I could see the valley and everything and looking up at the mountains around and then I, I looked again and I, I couldn't see the clouds which was odd and I couldn't see the, the other side of the valley and I was looking at um, bushes and trees, maybe two hundred yards away, and then all of a sudden, I couldn't see those. And I watched my fo- my focal point come towards me in the grass. You know, actually moving towards me until to a point where I could only focus on the twigs in the bush above my head. And uh, it was all a bit shocking. Uh, everything else was a blur beyond it. And mm. I had this. So it was this, shock. I had this voice. It wasn't my voice, but I had a voice. Uh, it sounded a bit like my dad, who knows everything about everything. But he, uh, it, this voice said, uh, well, Guy, this is obvious. It's a clear sign that you're going into shock. What you need now is some oxygen. And uh, I said I said out loud, I said, oh, I, I've got some. I've got some oxygen because we carry oxygen. And uh, I reached around into the back back of my harness, grabbed my uh, cylinder of oxygen because, yeah, because we had it for for Sun Valley flying and um, pulled the nozzle off, turned it on full blast and just snorted this uh, gulped in lungfuls of pure oxygen. And watched the whole thing reboot. It just—it was amazing. The whole system went right out and just worked out. Boof, and then the clouds appeared. The other side of the valley worked. Okay, yeah. So that—that made me feel a lot better. Um, And I didn't. So I didn't lose any consciousness or anything, which was uh, which was important. And and people have told me since that that is is a classic sign of 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 shock. Um, Mm. So it was lucky I didn't I didn't succumb to that. But then I lay there I so I lay there in the harness, made myself sort of comfortable. I couldn't really I thought about putting the glider out a bit. The glider was my glider was half out and it was still a howling gale coming up the valley. So it would sort of grip the wind a bit, but I was I was pretty well pinned in with these bushes, so I wasn't going anywhere, I wasn't being dragged or anything. And I thought about getting my reserve and putting that out. Uh, if, if anybody came past they could see it a bit more easily but I just didn't have the strength to do it I, 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 I could just about get on my f- all fours sometimes and then it was too much pain so I, I just sat there in the harness and thought well um, maybe there'll be somebody coming along who will see me and come, and come and rescue me in a minute but um and then it got it got sort of started getting dark uh and i thought well you know probably unlikely that i'm going to be rescued tonight um so i just made myself as comfortable as could, as i could i was perfectly warm because i had all my you know all the weather all, you know, warm clothes because you, you fly so high there and i thought well you know, this isn't going to be too bad and then i i heard this just rumbling noise and I went, <laughs> what, the, what the fuck? <laughs> and I, I looked up, because I couldn't really look. I had to sort of strain over backwards. And I could see up on the hillside. You know, it was this sort of sage, grassy, sagebrush mm-hmm. uh, valley side that I was on. And I was probably about two-thirds of the way up, up the side of the valley. And uh, probably 200 meters above me was this... Bloody great bear, sitting, looking at me, and uh and it was and it would sniff. It could sniff and it would look, and I could see its eyes, and it it could see me. I could see it, and I knew it was interested. And it wasn't it wasn't scared at all. It was just looking at me. And then every now and then the glider would fluff up, and he'd back off a few steps, and um, and then, but he just—he was definitely intent on on seeing what what I was. So, th- and then it got darker and darker, and I couldn't see him again. So, uh, <laughs> but he'd, he'd been sitting there for probably ten minutes, ten or fifteen minutes as I, as it got darker, and um, and then I couldn't see. But I just perfect, thought, yeah. So I thought, oh, this is good. And at, that, well, so point, you probably
0: slept. You probably slept like a
1: baby. Well, I, at that point, I just thought. <laughs> You know what? I'm edible. I'm edible, and I've and I'm I'm covered in blood because of my nose. There's blood all over my face and stuff. And I thought, oh God, you know, this isn't very good. So I thought, well, what about what about bears? Not like, and I thought, well, they don't like Americans with guns hunting them. Uh, so I thought, well, if I can make it look like I'm a, a little hunting party out. So, I, so I got my mobile phone. But had a, still had a bit of battery, so I took flash pictures, and I thought I'll sing sing American campfire song. So I I sang, she'll be coming round the mountain when she comes. Yeehaw! As loudly as I could, <laughs> took pictures with my mobile phone, and got I got my pen knife out—a little silly pen knife with about a two-inch blade on it—and and I had one cheese sandwich. Um, that I didn't eat, and I, I I've had it ready for the bear. I just thought well, th- this might be the only thing that puts him off eating me, is if I feed him a cheese sandwich first. So I, I did my best. Uh, anyway, I didn't I didn't see him again. I heard I heard him later that night in the trees below. Down in the, there was some, a couple of sort of saplings and things. I think I heard what sounded like the bear just sort of crashing about a bit down there but um, I didn't see him again but it was that, that wasn't that wasn't a very restful night No that wouldn't have been a restful night yeah um, so anyway so I woke up in the morning uh, about uh, well I still didn't really sleep but I I, I I was pretty conscious about at about eight o'clock and I sort of decided that I was um, probably not going to be found uh, I don't know why I, I thought that I knew Mike, uh, and Nate, Nate had always said, if you get lost, um, head downhill, Lockdown, and eventually yeah. you'll you'll get out of you'll get up you'll get to somewhere. As long as you just head downhill, get to you know, that that will lead to to a road eventually. So I had that in my mind, and I had Mike Fow, the meat director. I remember when he he gave a, a, a lecture because the the I think the South Americans were a bit worried about um how wild the countryside was that we were flying over and he'd said don't worry we won't if you do get lost we won't leave you out there on the hill so i had that that really kept me going mike's words i kept on repeating it they're not going to leave me out here but i just thought it would be so hard i couldn't i hadn't seen any sign there was no sign of human life at all and i was quite quite high up where i crashed so and that night the first night uh, i hadn't seen a single light on the horizon. There was nothing out there, so I realized how remote my chances were of being found um, and I just thought, well, if I can just uh, it looked like at the bottom of the valley there was some there was a stream, and i had a, I had a, I had about three liters of water with me as ballast. but I thought that's going to run out soon if I can just get to the to the stream. I'm gonna be yeah, I can I can last I can eke out an existence for days and days and days I just need water and and I'll be fine so I decided that at you know, if if ten o'clock that morning if you know no sign of anybody I was gonna go um, which was probably the wrong decision but in my state I just thought um, I, I I needed water so I uh, I left everything that was heavy. I took. I didn't have any warm, any of my warm clothes. I'd left my jacket stupidly, and I uh, just worked out that if I pulled with my my legs, my legs were, were felt good. If I pulled with my legs, uh, ignored the pain of my pelvis, and pushed with my good arm, and then I could actually snake away through the bits the, the tufts of grass and the bit of sagebrush and I could actually get a get going down the hill because it was quite a steep hill down to the and it probably took me about three hours but I made it down to the bottom of the valley uh only to find that this lovely stream bed was dry as a bone
0: mm.
1: um absolutely it, it, it had had been a stream once but it was completely uh, bone dry.
0: August, there's no water.
1: Yeah, no water at all. So at that point, it was flat, and I couldn't carry on doing my um, my pulling and pushing, and I I just had to find some way of um, of standing up uh, if I was going to carry on any further. I thought, well, maybe maybe a bit further down there'll be the odd pool. Maybe there's a some 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 form of water that I can find from somewhere, or a bit of damp earth that I can dig and find a find a a spring or something so I just reached out my hand and there miraculously was this big strong stick uh that was about five foot long I snapped the end off and it had a nice little spike that I could put my ballast um bag on that's the only thing I took with me uh, and the, uh, I'd left the cheese sandwich up with the um, with the, with all my kit <laughs> <laughs> decoy the for the was... bears. Yeah, exactly. And um, so off I went. And uh, well, so so I I got this stick, and I worked out if I if I levered you know used my good arm and levered myself forward, I could get into a state where. With a, a good old push from the legs and a, and a heave on the on the stick, I could maybe get up onto my feet. And I thought, if I could just be upright, you know, my pelvis—I knew my pelvis was not good because I could feel the bones not quite right. You know, it was definitely broken, but I thought it wasn't sticking out. It wasn't like I'd broken the whole. Uh, something off the you know the the ball joint off the top of my legs or something and, and what so it was basically there and intact
0: What, what level of pain fractured. were you in at that point?
1: Uh, yeah, it wasn't good. Yeah, I mean, it's, okay. it's more pain than I've had before mm. uh, but I Think that you've got so much adrenaline going around your system that you can you can sort of Park the pain and and I knew uh, uh, yeah pain is only created by your brain so you, you, if you can concentrate hard enough you can Not you can it. it sort of ignore it yeah, yeah. i mean it, it's hard but but once you when you've got no alternative and you've got to you've got to find a fashion a way of of uh, saving your skin you, you can it's you can put up with an awful lot so i you know it took me a couple of hours probably And I did pitch myself off a couple of times, which wasn't good. But I eventually I managed to get all the leverage right and everything working, and got up onto my feet. And then, then I could, if I just swung a leg, you know, six inches, plant the pole again, swing the other leg, you know, just you know, then Mm. move the pole, swing leg by leg, and then I was sort of moving. And that just that sense of being upright and and going somewhere and every 10 meters uh I, I sort of stop and, and look back and go oh yeah that's uh I, I'm 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 getting out of here somehow um so I did about I think I got about a kilometer that day uh a few times Yeah, you sort of stop. I leant up against a bush, a tree for a while, and um, yeah, you sort of contemplated my sad state that I was in. Um, But then, yeah, you just when you just have to move on, and. Uh, but later that, that day, I saw th- I all of these, um, this overdevelopment going on. I couldn't believe it. But it, you know, the, the clouds were just getting bigger and bigger. And then, boof, the tops were coming through and they were going Q Nimmy. And I thought, oh God, yeah. And sure enough, at about eight o'clock that night, this huge thunderstorm blew up. And it just dumped rain from eight till about. I had, no, two in the morning, huge electric storm. I, I'm sure you would have seen it. And I got absolutely... I lay down in this ditch and just got drenched. Uh, I just had a. I had my grey pulley, uh, grey woolly pulley on. And uh, luckily I had some merino undies. And I think they would probably save my life. But uh, I got properly hy- properly hypothermic that night. It was you know, freezing cold and, and my my legs were i had different a weird thing with my different body parts uh, all having a conversation so i was lying there freezing shivering and uh, just breathing into my jumper I had my my busted shoulder and arm was like a, Can- a canadian we, we we sell quite a lot of wine in canada so i know i know the, the canadian accent and it was a you know as canadian and he was sort of on my side, saying, "You know, don't worry. You know, it looks bad, but uh, it's it's not, it's it's not really not that bad." And I had my legs, were two English, you know, sort of posh English twits, who were saying. Well, we don't care what he says. We're not going to do any more walking at all. Ah. Uh, we've, we've had it. This is, this this is like shit. the uh, the animal house. You've got the angel on one shoulder and the devil on the other. Yeah, yeah literally. <laughs> and he was this guy going, don't you worry about those boys, guy. You know, they're going to do what they're told and I'll sort them out. You just carry on do, you know, doing what you're doing. That That's good. That'll keep you warm. And this, this pullover is, is a lot better than you think it is. <laughs> so i had this really weird thing and then i eventually i think i nodded off and i had this odd dream that i was in a, a, a like a camping a trade show selling camping equipment and i was lying there in the ditch and people would be coming past and they were saying so so what are you selling there and there were there was, and I was saying, I'm just not selling anything. I'm, I've got a very warm pullover, but it, I tell you, it's freezing cold, and I'm wet. And if I were you, I'd buy any other tent in this, in this, uh, <laughs> anything other than the uh, grey woolly that I, I'm wearing. And uh, so, the, the, anyways, I think I was sort of hallucinating a bit mm. and, and going off on one. But, um, and that was a I wicked storm in, that night, man, we were all freaked out. We just thought, holy shit, things just got a lot worse for him. It was, I mean, I don't know if you often have storms like that, but it was, the lightning was sensational. Yeah. And I just watched this storm. I think that actually that was the other thing that's, that probably saved me because, um, there was so much thunder and noise and and it was pretty terrifying to if you were an animal I, and I reckon all the bears and cougars were, were holed up not wanting to be out hunting eating anything that night so I think I was I was very lucky because of that but um Anyway, in the morning, I I, I I woke up. I was freezing cold, but luckily the sun, as soon as it came out, it was so it was such you got such a lovely hot sun there. It warmed me up pretty quickly. That fixed fixed the hypothermia, and um, I, again, but I took another couple of hours to get to my feet and my because my all my clothes were soaking wet. There was a lot heavier and everything, but so that was a really brutal brutal morning but I got going and I got around the corner uh in the in the valley bottom and um I could see this little wooden shack this beautiful you know little wooden hut with two windows in it, a door in the middle uh and it was underneath a lovely willow tree uh, that was by the stream and and now the, the stream has some water in it by now because of the storm and uh, I was just cursing my luck, thinking, you idiot, if, if you'd just gone another 200 yards <laughs> the night before, you could have slept in there. And I was thinking that, but I bet you there's a, some guy who's got baked beans mm. and he's probably got some food and uh, and he might, who knows, he might have a radio and, and anyway. So I'm, I'm walking up to this, this hut and I can see, I can, I'm thinking that well, there's, def, well, there's definitely, well, it's definitely inhabited because there's glass in the window getting closer and closer and closer. I'm probably 50 meters away, getting really excited. And I look up again, no shack, nothing. Whoa. And I go, I go, what? what? How did, how, how did that happen? Wow. Yeah, I could see, I was like counting the tiles on the roof. Uh, not the, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it was just very vivid. It was just for, totally, I could draw it for you uh today and the, the tree was still there this lovely willow tree was there and it was the perfect place for <laughs> for a shack but just, it just had gone and um excellent it's just your mind just 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 trying to uh, keep yeah, you going time yeah. while trying you're trying to keep you going while you're in in pain and yep. yeah just keeping you going a few hundred yards yeah, but wow. um that was pretty weird Mm. Um, but then I carried on and um, it got a bit hot, and then you start playing games just to pass the time. I was, I'd noticed that the there were a whole crew of um fly that had this big, big scabby gash on my nose, as I said, and and the flies were getting into it, and uh, I noticed most of them were sort of blue bottles, but then there was one green one who was a bit quicker than the others who every time i'd 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 sort of brush them away and they'd all get back but it was always the green one who'd get back on their quick quickest and so i'd i started sort of playing like musical chairs with the flies i'd 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 go (laughs) up my nose and they'd all fly up and i'd sing them a song and see who who could who would be back on their last Uh, anyway, I did that for a couple of hours. That seemed to amuse me. I have to, I have and, to uh, um, jump
0: in and give the, the the listeners a little bit of perspective on where you were. <laughs> what, what? Uh, I mean, this is literally our backyard, and it seems like when, it, when you know, when of course we knew you were missing that first night. And by the next morning had mounted the whole town uh, to go search. And we had ATVs and motorcycles and helicopters and, uh, you know, the Blackhawks. I think we had two of those operating. And, and, uh, I mean, it was this major mission. And you think with that kind of personnel going on, we were all just... Super confident that we would find you in no time, and the, but the the problem is we had no idea where. We assumed you were on course line because we had to, um, but because uh, you know we, we didn't have a tracker on you, we didn't know where on course line. And it's you know it's a hundred kilometers, which is sixty miles, but the course line's pretty defined. You could be
1: you could be you could be twenty k off yeah. the course line, and uh, and then suddenly it just becomes
0: country. you know when we met down at the police station and they mapped it all out you still don't get an idea until you go out there. I mean, and this is country that I've seen at the time, that was the first time I'd flown through there, but now I've flown over it a lot. and it terrifies me every single time I fly over that because you realize that it is no man's land. I mean, it's just, yeah. you know, you leave this town was... and literally, you know, if you go 15 kilometers kind of southwest, which is what we did that day, we call that no man's land. Um, and it's mm. just when we started hiking on those hills looking for you and I was where they put me was wasn't even close to you. Um But, you know, you start dispersing up these hills and you've got all these people. And even with all of that, you know, they they, they set it up, really, it was very organized. And, you know, you always have to be able to see the next person in the line and, you know, don't make sure you don't go over the same place again. And, you know, they really taught us how to search. Uh, and you go out there, and by the end of that first day, I just started thinking, "There's no way in hell we're gonna find Guy." I, mean, I just thought this this yeah. is, this is a needle in a haystack, and it was just so interesting how it changed from everybody in the morning just being so excited, "Okay, we're gonna find him; it's not gonna be a problem." And then by that night, and then the storm, by that night, it was just like, "There's there's no fucking way we're ever gonna find him. He 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 doesn't walk <laughs> out of there, or it's gonna be a miracle." Basically, I just I we've had a couple no not a couple we had one incident just a couple of days ago that reminded me of of how incredibly hard it is to find somebody and especially in that kind of terrain it's just it's
1: it's really tough but anyway carry on yeah it wasn't it wasn't good but so but i and i, I hadn't seen any i i knew everybody would have been looking and i but i i i'd seen the odd plane go over but i just thought it's such a long way away and if you you can't see somebody on the ground in a little in a a light aircraft how how are they ever going to see me you know i knew that my glider was pretty well rolled up and and i my glider happens to be it was a a a nice ice peak with some gray blue which is pretty much the The same color (laughs) <laughs> Same colour as the as the sagebrush that right. we were in, so I knew it was going to be impossible, and I hadn't put it out very cleverly, well, at, at, at all. It was just a little, probably one corner, a, a, a third of the wing was out and fluffing around in the breeze, but it really, you, it was pretty well camouflaged. So I, I just thought, there's no way anybody's going to find me, unless I, unless I walk out myself. So I'm doing my best job. And and then probably it was twelve o'clock. I think on the set on the third day, I heard for the first time a helicopter. I heard a definite helicopter, you know, engine sort of sound. I I looked around, couldn't see anything. And then um, about probably about ten minutes later, I heard it again, and it came actually came into our into my valley. I saw it fly in. Up, but but there was sort of a bit of a curve in the valley and I, and then it f- seemed to fly straight through at the t- head of the valley and and then out and i just didn't hear it again and it looked like it had gone so i just i uh, i just thought well that's that's as close as you'll come and that's it that they've 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 tracked through they haven't seen the glider and they've actually gone and missed it so I, I actually put a little bit of video on my phone. <laughs> I was keeping a little bit of a phone log because uh, I had some battery left, and uh, I just said how disappointing that was. <laughs> Incredibly disappointing after the, the, you know, to be so close and not to be found. But I resolved that my fate was, was going to be to walk out, so I carried on going. But actually, um, the Black Hawk had one Russell Ogden in it, who is not noted for his eyesight. Um, he, he can generally not see further than his glider when he's flying, but he had, he was in the helicopter and I don't quite know why they'd chosen Russ to be in the helicopter, but, uh, he was there and he'd seen out of the corner of his, his eye, my glider yeah. and told the, and it was the, it was a sweep. They'd been, he'd been in the helicopter all day and, and I think the previous day as well and um, it was the furthest sweep to the south that that they were doing uh and and just as they were leaving that valley he saw it and he told the guy to go around and the pilot to go around and land and that's why i hadn't heard the engine because they had actually landed and and shut the engines off pretty quickly and um russ had leapt out of the black hawk said he ran towards the 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 wreckage of my glider and my harness saw the blood on the on the uh, on the harness itself and thought oh god he's definitely been eaten so they're looking around in the bushes for uh, (laughs) body parts or anything calling out yelling out and then the other guy I don't know who the other guy was who was with him but the other guy saw I think the track my, my track going down the valley and they um so they followed the trail down uh, to the bottom of the valley, and then they found a footprint, and that's the point where they got, went, "Oh, actually, this is a bit interesting." Mm-hmm. Uh, so they came, they came running down, you know, like like um, the Lone Ranger and King <laughs> track tra- tracking <laughs> my trail, and found more and more footprints. Oh, yeah, yeah, and uh, and um, radioed the helicopter. To, to meet them down further down the track, the helicopter took off, came down, the, flew down the track, flew down the valley to pick them up, um, came all the way down. I saw, I heard the helicopter and then saw it flying uh, probably 150 meters above the ground came right over my head and I'm there with uh, my stick with a, a red t-shirt on the end of the stick and I'm waving it at the helicopter going yay I've been saved I've been saved that's fantastic and the helicopter turned around went, flew back up the valley went round the corner gone again and I'm thinking are you kidding me fuck yeah. no yeah. way and they hadn't seen they really hadn't <sighs> seen me again I mean that just goes to show how lucky I was yeah. to be found because I was right underneath them, by this time on a, on a, like a cow track, uh, and they still yeah, hadn't seen me. There were some people hard. in it's the helicopter. So Not yeah. one of them saw me. So anyway, they, went, they flew around the corner, landed again, picked up Russ, and, um, and then about probably 40 minutes later, it seemed like eternity, but they, they came down the valley, this time at about 150 feet. Uh, oh, sorry, at about 50 feet and um, and nearly knocked me over with the wash because it's such a massive helicopter uh, and then landed and um, I struggled over and the, the door of the helicopter goes back and it's a beaming Russell Ogden. Wow. Then. <laughs> I said, what, the, what took you so long?
0: <laughs>
1: but uh, it was a pretty emotional oh, moment. Oh, I bet. Yeah, for for me certainly, and I, and I know Russ was. Ah, um, oh, it was yeah. so awesome yeah. seeing
0: his face that night. He was lit up like a Christmas tree. I mean, and really, you know, to 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 take you through the the opposite side of it. You know, they they you start you know everybody's so excited it's gonna happen and then you know and then inevitably you know time stretches on and you start hearing all these grim things like oh if you don't find somebody in the first 24 hours it means x and then you know then there was the storm and yeah. then there was the next day and i mean really we were really starting to think we were looking for a body and it's just yeah you start to get really down and uh, you know the adrenaline is gone and and uh and the search seems hopeless and and uh, i mean when we got that call, that next day that you'd been found and you were, <laughs> you'd, you'd walked a half a mile or something and and uh, I mean we were just we, wow it was a really a special it was special for the whole town I mean really the town was you know this this little town's small and, and the town was pretty involved and excited <laughs> and yeah that was a special day
1: yeah that I mean there's some I mean it was it was the backstories I think I mean my my. Trudging along the valley is, is 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 my crash story. Is one story, but the, the other stories I think are almost more interesting. The um, when I was in hospital, I had a, um, a visit from the guy. Do you, you know, uh, is it yeah. Bob Wolfe, who is the one of the retrieve drivers we had, and I, I got to know him uh, on the the long task we had, the 190 odd k one, where we didn't nobody made it, but we, up to a busload of us got pretty close to the goal. And I'd been sitting in the front seat. Rob, of Bob's uh, it must have been bus. Rob. Rob um, Wolf.
0: Yeah, he was our support driver Rob, on
1: the, Rob, you know, the sorry, Rockies Rob, Traverse. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, Rob. Rob. Rob Wolf. Yeah. What am I saying? Rob. And he uh I got to got chatting with him, and he's uh, he's a nice, very nice, you know, normal fellow. And we'd been swapping good good t- stories and telling jokes and things. And we stopped for dinner, and I'd had dinner with him. Anyway, he he. He um, had heard about the accident and, uh, well, the, the crash, and he was looking up on the internet and he, with his wife at home, and he said that um, they'd got all of the maps out. And he was saying, that's a real shame because that English guy, you know, he got on really well, and uh, yeah. it's a shame he's got gone missing. So they were having a look, and he was telling his wife, he's saying, I haven't got a clue where he could be. They had all these maps out on the kitchen table and uh and he could be anywhere in this you know with the wind the way it was he could be all over the place here and uh she said to him well that's interesting but what are you po- pointing at and uh he said oh, what do you mean pointing at you? she said all this time you've been saying that how impossible it is to find him your finger has been stuck on the map and uh he he said well i'm not pointing at anything and she's so she got a pencil and she put a cross on the map where his finger was and he said well he could be there it's a bit weird but uh but but yeah it's just sort of you know with the way the wind could be but anyway but he could be anywhere and he said he they went to bed he didn't really get to sleep at all and uh, in the, he, he said he got up about three o'clock in the morning and decided, well, I'm gonna, because it, it, it was really niggling him. Uh, he said I'm gonna go and join in the the rescue. So he went into the, because the rescue got moved mm-hmm, to the sheriff's mm-hmm. office, I think. So he said he went into the sheriff's office and said, look, if it's okay with you, this might sound a bit weird, but I want to go and look uh, where I've, this cross is on the map. So the sheriff put on the official record, okay. Rob is looking in in this this spot. He drove his truck to as near as he could get to it. I think on the other side of the the co- there was a the sort of a bit of higher ground, and he hiked up. Uh, and It took him hours and hours and hours to hike up. And he got up at about twelve o'clock. He came over this top of this coal, and he was looking down to the point where he'd marked this cross on the map. And uh, when he saw the helicopter come in from the other side. What? And, uh, yeah, and he said, you know, he said, he said, look, you know, he came in to see me in the hospital and he said, look, I'm a redneck sort of guy and I don't believe in this sort of shit. But I just wanted to tell life. you face to face that this this is what happened. And 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 I he said, I was looking down. I got my binoculars out of my backpack and I could see the helicopter land. I saw he described how Russ leapt out of the heli- out of the helicopter and tumbled down the hill and you know russ told me about this as well so i don't think he could have i you know he didn't make that bit up so it's it was all pretty credible but he said i looked and i could see them them tracking down the hill i could see them running along the bottom of the valley and then i looked further down the valley and and there there i could see you walking along with your stick so i watched he said he watched the whole rescue play out over the course of an hour hour, hour and a half cool and um I packed up his bag, he said he was in a bit, you know, a pretty emotional state because he he was like the rest of you. he thought that there was no chance in that 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 scenery you you could ever be get found so uh, he said that's a so that 's one pretty weird yeah. story wow, and then the other one was Zach, Zach Hargreaves, who'd done an amazing job uh talking to my family at home um, you yeah, know that 's a pretty horrible job for anybody to have to be the he was the, the liaison man and um he had he'd got uh got to know the girls pretty well over the you know, i've got two daughters and my wife and uh, my mate you know my eldest daughter chloe was the main point of contact with with zach and he'd kept them going over all this time and he'd 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 said to them that you know his his Background. He was in charge of the search and rescue, I think, and his background was was in the military. And he'd never not found somebody he'd been looking for, which gave them a lot of hope. But he hadn't actually told them that a lot of the people he he'd been looking for were already dead. So, uh, <laughs> but, but anyway, at the end at the end of this, he um, he. Uh, was a, like a real hero when when the word got back home and uh that i'd been found uh he, he as far as my girls are concerned he was one of the greatest mm. men of, on the planet and so uh i wrote him a letter after afterwards and sent him this this letter uh just with pictures of his of his new fans and um he said he. So he'd been away. He's a he's a long distance truck driver, and he he'd been away in his truck driving, and he hadn't come across. He hadn't been home, I think, but he came across this handwritten letter um, in, in amongst a pile of bills, and he opened up. all, he went through, you know, open, opened up the letter, saw the picture, and he'd heard. In the meantime, that my recovery, um, I'd, I'd recovered from the accident and that I'd had some crazy idea of going off to the uh, superfinal in Colombia. So he said he, he looked at the date, the calendar, and he went, oh, shit, a superfinal is um, it looks like it's in three days time. He said, so he said he bought himself a ticket. Uh, an airline ticket that that moment got on a plane they're the, pretty much the same day came out to colombia and um because he thought that i better oh he'd better goodness. keep an eye on me oh, and i i was in the bar in Roldanillo when i get this tap on the shoulder and it's zach mm, <laughs> i couldn't believe it amazing uh, who was there just to just yeah just cool. to keep an eye on you buddy and that night that night in the we, we were all sitting out in the square having drinks and having a, you know the final time that you do doing in Roldanillo, which is a, a great place and um zach um saw this rather good looking uh, colombian lady across their square and their eyes met and um Anyway, he's only yeah. Ended the up the in rest America. is history, as they say, right? Yeah, that, that it's is unbelievable. unbelievable. Yeah, so I think that those stories are possibly so more interesting so cool. than the crash. Well, two
0: two things we've got to talk about uh, before we sign off. I'm so glad you shared that story. Um, the first is, uh, you know, other than <laughs> having a tracker, uh, which of course back then in those days you know, we weren't very religious about doing, and of course we are now. But uh, what are the takeaways? uh from from the accident and then and this this may not be even correct um but it seems to me and this was one thing nate wanted to to ask you about uh it seems to me like your flying has kind of gone through the roof since sun valley like you you've really stepped up your game um you know it's one thing to go for it's just take me through that a little bit, because that was, you know, uh, a pretty serious accident. And you're, you know, you're at the super final three months later. Uh, and then since then, you've, you know, got the British championship last year, and you've done, you have had some really remarkable results. Um, tell me just about coming back from that, because I think often in, in in paragliding, this is way more of a mental game than a physical game. Um, was that hard? Was it obvious? Was it? Yeah, well, what
1: was it? Well, I, I've had—I mean, I've had the fear in the past. Yeah, we all can get the fear. Uh, I ha- had uh, uh, just—I've had um, situations where I've lost lost the wing and had nasty cascades, which bizarrely were more frightening than the the, the crash that I had. There's I, I, nothing I could do about it. It wasn't—it happens all so quickly, and I—I I, I was a bit surprised. That I didn't feel any real flying trauma um, after the accident. I just I I I'd, I'd broken my arm pretty badly, and I'd had a surgery on my shoulder. Um, the, all my ribs fixed pretty quickly. I I had punctured a lung that fixed quite quickly. All of your bones will will mend. Um, I was a bit. I didn't know how I would take to flying again. But I was just um, concentrating on getting my my body mended and I, I knew that if I could fix that, uh, I, I set myself this goal of getting into the super final and and I was so surprised that where I crashed just gave me enough points to get into that that, uh, <laughs> that final and I was buggered if I wasn't going to. Uh, turf up there and see, see just see what see what a super final was like um, I, I don't I, I just I just think that you know you you only have one life and if you you can't and what I suppose the crash if anything has told me not to not to not do things so I, I now if I get an opportunity if I'm asked to go to some something and I'm a bit tired I'll still go uh, whereas in the past I might have declined you know, an invitation, I, n- I never say no to anything now because um, uh, I suppose that yeah, yeah, I'm I'm more determined to do to do what I want to do. Hey, tell tell and, me about and, uh, flying
0: style. Have you have you changed anything because of the accident? Do you fly more conservatively? Do you fly more risky? Do you
1: no, I've I'm, I've always been quite conservative, uh, and it's always a bit of a battle to to let go. Uh, I'm a bit a bit con- too uh, yeah too controlled, I think, and that's my I, I always my, my big problem at the moment is the end game. I um, I can roll along quite happily in the in the for most of the task, and because my climbing is quite good, I can I can keep. Keep at the sort of the the upper end of the of the thermal at the front, but I'm terrible terrible at deciding when to go, Uh, and that's the big area I've got to fix in my flying. I'm always way too. You know, I watch the likes of Pepe and Yas, and especially just just go and go and go low, super low, and you know, wind tasks uh, from impossible positions. And uh, that's something I've got to work out of my system but um no I, I I just um the the whole super final I think has getting getting over the accident and getting into that super final and in that first task i had I'd only flown I'd fluffed the glider up literally once on a cold November day uh, so I crashed with the I crashed on the 25th of august Uh, I'd got better enough to get the glider out. My shoulder was still a bit shit, but I um, could, I I fluffed the glider up and took a little hop off the hill uh, in November. And then the weather was terrible in England until the super final itself in January. And um, I arrived there with no practice at all. And we had the first task day and um, I fluked a sixth position in on the first tar- My first flight after after the accident, I came sick on the first task.
0: <laughs> and you're fixed and, and uh, you're repaired. <laughs> I, just,
1: I just thought, yeah, that's it. I'm, I'm fine. There was no trauma, no nothing. And I'm sick in the super final. Um, and I thought, right, well, there's no way back from this. So I, I ended up coming in the mid twenties, I think. So I was, I was, and I thought this, and I, I love the bunch of people that you mix with in world cups they're all so different and i love the different nations and uh, but real characters all sharing the same stupid addiction and uh, i have just thought well i want to do more of this and um uh i think the more it's just the more you do the more you learn and um, my flying style I, I don't think we i don't think we really radically change you just improve um here and there and it's a small game job if you can climb five percent better glide five percent better avoid making stupid decisions that get you isolated um all of a sudden you, you see the game in a bit more clearly and um uh, and i think um what we've we've you know moving on from that i've i've um, uh, been keen to to put back into the the youth of the UK what what we can you know what knowledge I've gained and and I've managed to uh, convince Russell also that um, Russell has been been brilliant about um, sharing his knowledge he's got way more knowledge than virtually anybody on the planet about how to race a paraglider so I've really enjoyed um, this. We, the um, British Paragliding uh, Racing Academy that's that's been set up by some other English guys, Russell, uh, uh, Barney, Woodhead and uh, Malin Lobb. Um, and, we, and Russell and I have been doing a, a boot camp. So listening to Russ uh, instill his knowledge into young people about how to race a paraglider has, is so uh, it's such a privilege to hear because it it it's it really helps me as well. I think there's I think we're all able to improve our flying and um, listening to Russ. It, it's it's like it's like hearing something coming, yeah. coming from uh, on high. Uh, there's there's nothing Bill, that that is is wrong. Yeah, he, yeah, he, he knows the, the whole game. better. We
0: always talk about Bill Bill Belcourt being our guy like that. That's around. You know, he was he was here in the last few days, and it's just like he opens his mouth and just flowers of knowledge come out that you, you you go. God, I just need to capture these things somehow and not bend them or hurt them or destroy them. And Russ is the same way. I mean, I I, I haven't had enough contact with Russ. He was here, you know, of course after the the PWC in Sim Valley and was the inspiration really for this show i mean he gave a talk one day which i happened to just put on a camera and it was unbelievable. Yeah, gosh. oh my two god line, i mean two i still have to go back yeah. to that and mm. i'm still using that all the time in defense yeah. of the things that i do and it's just he's just really there are certain people who have really thought about what we do in a different way
1: yeah bill 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 was really kind. He came to see me in the hospital as well in in uh, Boise. And he's such a sage, uh, level-headed, uh, experienced guy. And the when you know, my wife uh, obviously had issues about because I was um, adamant that I wasn't going to give up paralyzing and I told her straight off that this wasn't uh, you know, a bump in this, the road. However horrific the accident was for me, and I how horrible it was for her and 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 my girls, I wasn't going to give it up. And it was a bit of a shock to to her that that I was saying that. But I was I just said I wasn't. I'm not prepared to live a a diluted version of my life and future when such an important part of it was. Um, is, is paragliding and Bill kindly was there to and and explained that you you can't you can't take that that's that away from somebody and he, he his I think it was really he who uh, managed to convince her that um, it wasn't such a bad idea to let me carry on paragliding.
0: Guy, uh, that is uh, kind of a poetic and perfect place to leave it. I think uh, I've uh, I know you you need to get to bed, dude. You got some crushing to do in the next few days, and uh, I really have appreciated this time with you. I'm sure we're going to be spending some time together in the air in the future. But thank you for sharing that quite quite dicey story. Yeah. Well, when are you next
1: coming over? When you, you must come over and come and, oh, come and join I'd love in oh yeah, actually and yeah and, yeah, and you know what i've been blast. talking to
0: barney quite a bit lately he and i become quite good friends and i just need to uh yeah need to make that happen as you know my my focus uh has been kind of on the x alps and i'll be getting into the training here pretty shortly the physical side of that uh for the for the next x alps and i but i think this next one will probably be my last so after that i'll be a little more freed up to uh, tee off around the world and go do some uh, some football. Yeah, but that that North-South Cup just sounds brilliant. And uh, you guys are always just, you know, we... There there are still lots of stories about, you know, uh, Mark Watts pounding it in Chelan and taking off again. And I mean, the the Brits are, you know, we just love having you guys (laughs) over here. So likewise, uh, the invitation is is always open. I hope you'll come join us again in Sun Valley. As you pointed out at the top of the show, this is a pretty special place. I'd love to. It gives and gives.
1: Yeah. I would definitely jump at a chance of coming back to Sun Valley and I think everybody should experience your big air and your hospitality because um, that was the, the all of the genuine hospitality you get in the states it's, I think it's probably only matched in the in the Arab countries probably but the way you welcome strangers in and uh, and uh, is, is uh, very humbling and uh, all the people there—you know, the Nick Greases, the farmers, the uh, Nates, uh, you know, Mike Fow—they they were all so special people to meet. And um, yeah, I love no, you. No, well.
0: thank you. Well, we love you too, man. And it was—that was—that uh, was a heroic effort on a lot of people's parts, and especially yours. And uh, we we're glad, of course, you got through it. And uh, keep on crushing. And uh, yeah, let's 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 do this again, but in the sky next time. Thanks, guy. I really appreciate it.
1: Okay, thanks, mate. Cheers. Seems we both I hope you enjoyed
0: that. A lot of lessons there. A lot of little pieces of advice. Some good things to be thinking about when it comes to safety in your kit and uh, what we all need to be thinking about every time we launch off a mountain. I'd really love your feedback. I'd really love to hear what other guests you'd like to have on the show. Uh, Send me any questions that haven't been answered in one of the previous shows. If you're just discovering the podcast, um, I'm just reminded over and over again when I have these talks about some of the great things people have put out there in the past. Uh, I was fortunate enough to fly with Bill Belcourt this last week. Um, He was part of that rescue I was talking about in the beginning. He was the very first show just some unbelievable advice there if you want to learn how to glide check out matt beechner's episode if you want to laugh hysterically check out nate scales he's got some story about the x-alps that i promise will make you cry with laughter um a anyway, lot of great shows there go back check them out enjoy them uh as always all we ask for is about a show if you've got something out of this one or one of the previous ones you can find that donation link on the website cloudbasedmayhem.com thank you thank you thank you it makes this all possible I'm really enjoying doing it we're going to keep Keep doing it, and just finally, I want to put a shout out to my buddy Michael Lang who sent me some acro toggles um, a few months back. I just put them on my cross country wing, uh, my peak four, recently, and I gotta say that I think this is a really good move. I had a pretty major incident last year after i came back from the X alps i got all spun up in my glider i won't go into the full details here but uh, long and short of it was i couldn't get my hands out because i had big gloves on it's quite cold here up high and all spun up went to throw my reserve and i couldn't get my hands out of my toggles out of my brake toggles and uh so that was pretty exciting ended up being able to sort it out didn't have to throw my reserve so it all ended up okay but Uh, good reminder to be thinking about things like that but also um, these you know using acro toggles number one it allows you to just reach out and grab them Um, doesn't have to have your hand stuck into something but it also gives you just a lot more feel and a lot more input uh, if you have acro toggles on your wing so I just wanted to put out a shout to to Michael uh, appreciate those if you want to get a pair let me know just reach out to me via email or Facebook or whatever and I can put you in touch with Michael that's it for the show thanks a lot hope you enjoyed that see you on the next one cheers